Hello, hey, and welcome to The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meakin. And we've got an action-packed show for you, which includes reviews, news, and views from your friendly neighbourhood film geeks. Andy, how have you been? Well, um, we're recording slightly later than usual this week, thanks to both of us being a bit under the weather over the past 24, oh, 48 yeah, you, hours. Oh, yeah, you've been a bit, uh, a bit oh, crook, haven't you? I woke up yesterday morning and my head was exploding. It was one of them proper intense migraines where it's like, would someone shut the curtains? They are shut. Oh, <laughs> um, and I can only put it down to my own actions because the day before I did the double bill of Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman Ultimate Edition to get ready for the Justice League this week. And I think that's brought on a bit of a head trauma. <laughs> I, I could see that. You, you were probably oversnided. Oversnided is probably yeah, not it's the Yeah, it's the medical term. condition. <laughs> um, it can happen. Some people, it means they've got to join some sort of religious cult. For others, it's just a banging headache. Uh, for others, <laughs> they just let it just like a wave crash over them. But it seems you've got you've got kind of the over-Snyder middle ground on that one. At least you've not gone full Snyder yet. I did have a bit of positivity this week because uh, my little baby sister, I say little baby sister, she's only 10 years younger than me. She'll always be your baby sister. She did a doorstep visit uh, just to come round where she was going on one of her walks of the day so I can see my new niece. Oh, that's who, um, fantastic. They've, ju they've just come out of the hospital. Uh, she was born prematurely, uh, but she's a proper little fighter, and it was great to just stand at that distance, just see her in there, and I could feel myself welling up. Can't wait until we get to a stage that I can actually invite people into the house and I can get all the hugs that I want. So, oh, that's lovely. Great. I, on the less more positive news, uh, I'm waiting to know whether I'm positive for uh, the big C, uh, C19, uh, and, uh, which sounds like a, a tape from the uh, 80s. Have you got a C19? Yeah. Could you copy this album for me? No. Uh, so I'm just waiting now, but uh, I've got to be honest, I can't say without any doubt that it's going to be negative because I'm, uh, even as we were just starting recording, I'm, I'm starting to starting to lose the will as we're going through. So I'm, but I'm going to soldier on because it is the film file and the film file fans, they need their, they need their weekly dose of film file. Covid be damned, I say. We, we do, do this it for, for the you. love. Regardless what's happening in our lives, we will continue to bring you all the news, all the reviews and all the fun chat. So in this week's episode, we're going to be doing a deep dive into Christopher Nolan's Memento. We'll bring you all the reviews of what Andy has managed to catch up with over the streaming services. Uh, and we'll be giving you a rundown of the 2021 Oscar nominations. But before anything else... Andy has been all over the internet, the dark recesses out there, to find you all the latest gossip, information, in this segment that is the news. So, what have you got for us, Andy? Let's just start the ball rolling and just get the rant out the way first, because this is the week, isn't it? This is the week. This is the week when we get a chance to see Zack Snyder's version of Justice League. Where does it drop, Andy? Drops tomorrow morning on Sky and Now TV. I'll probably get to see it on Now. Who have now rebranded themselves just to Now. They've dropped the TV bit. Oh, okay. Early word from the fans, which dropped on Sunday, was that it's very good because there was some fans were given invites to an exclusive screener of it. 
Critic review, reviews started landing on Monday and were generally positive. Yeah, I've noticed that. Not gushing like the fans have been. The fans have been like masterpiece, masterpiece, masterpiece. But the positive critical reviews have said, you know what? It's the best one that Zack Snyder's done of the DC films. Of course, the more toxic fan base started attacking any critics who didn't give the film five out of five, claiming they were bought out to hate it or they're just seriously biased. <laughs> Empire gave it three out of five. A three out of five is actually not too bad. It's decent, isn't it? It's a star more than what they gave the last version of Justice League. And the write-up, if you read the words in the review, and this is why I don't like star ratings, is because the words mean a lot more. The wording of it was very positive. But that didn't stop the toxic fans attacking them. They've just been jumping on any critics who haven't lavished ultimate praise over it. The whole discourse online has, as anticipated, turned extremely toxic very rapidly. And the usual defences by the toxic fans of, well, we're only defending Zack from the attacks on him. They're not attacks. It's a review of his films. People don't like his films. You do. It's different opinions. The same way that some people like pineapple on pizza, like me. Some people don't like it. It's a different taste, like a me. different opinion. No one's attacking Zack. You don't need to defend him. We rant about this quite frequently, the toxic mentality. and. The hope was that with them actually winning the whole battle to get Zack's version of the Justice League, that they'd calm down. But now, even though it's now coming out, and most of them haven't seen it themselves, but they've decided that the critics are wrong, the toxicity has started up again. I get that Zack, he doesn't link himself with this fan base. I get that, I mean, you see him in interviews, and he does seem like a genuinely cool guy. He does seem genuinely like he loves the industry that he's working in. He's enthusiastic. He's excited. He loves the positivity aspects. But he really needs to turn around and point out that these people think they're representing him, but they don't. I think it needs to come from him because he tried to distance himself from the toxic people about a month or two ago when he said, oh, there's no toxicity in the, in the core fan base. Yeah, but there is around the outside and they're the yeah. ones who are dragging your name down, mate. I don't want the toxicity. No one wants it. And this goes the other way as well. Anyone who's out there saying the DC films aren't as good as the Marvel films, stop comparing them. You're just creating the toxic environment by creating this artificial rivalry between Marvel and DC. It would be like reviewing a Harry Potter film by saying how much the Lord of the Rings films did this thing better. Completely different franchises. Compare DC movies with DC TV properties and DC comics if you must. Because they're representations of the same characters. Stop stoking fan wars between franchises. Rant over. <laughs> and you can uh, read more about Andy Rant. <laughs> hashtag Andy Rant. So to sort of address that, clearly the next campaign a lot of these fans are going to be looking at is to get Zack Snyder back into the DC universe and to to complete his vision if he has a further vision and that the rest of the DC films should fall into line with that, I'm assuming. I'm guessing that's where they're going to go next. There's already the hashtag restore the Snyderverse being getting bandied around over the past few months and it's started to really start to ramp up over the past few days. Zach himself in interviews, he's pretty much said, this was it, this was the final one, I'm moving on. And putting it all behind me. He said, like, you know, if the door's open, he'll happily come back and do things. But he's pretty ex much accepted that this was just a chance for him to finish off the film that he was kicked off the production of. It gave him a chance to finish his vision at his terms. And that alone is, is a triumph, isn't it? You know, not yeah. many filmmakers have ever been put in his situation to go back and address a film that he he didn't get to finish, come back and finish it. Now, we've had director's cuts and we've had 
we had moments where directors have gone back uh, and and toyed and tinkered with their work. But I think this is a this is a first, and on on yeah. that score, it is a triumph, and and I think he he will prove to have made a much better film than than what got released. And what got released was a was a mess of a film, but it was a mess of a film for many many different reasons, not just the director who who yeah. has had his own problems with it, but. You know, a studio wanted to take the film in a different direction. Looking back at how the rest of the films had been received, there was there was worry about spending all this money on it. I'm interested to to see how it's going to do. Now, I, I messaged, messaged you the other day and said, while I'm interested in watching it, four hours is a long stretch. And four hours, I know it's, I know it's chaptered, but four hours is a long stretch for a non-fan. I yeah. will find it very difficult, and, and I'm ready to be proved wrong, that non-fans will come across this, because that's what Marvel's done very, very well. We talked about WandaVision and how my partner sat yeah. and watched WandaVision and thoroughly enjoyed it, and has no no reference to anything else in the MCU. Marvel have, have done the neat trick by making their films too accessible to, to people who aren't, aren't comic book fans, aren't interested in the mythology, they just come in for that movie and they like it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been such huge hits i always felt that the dc movies have catered to fans now when they haven't it's when they've been more successful shazam yeah joker you know when they when they've gone and made a movie rather than trying trying to create franchises etc i think that's what when they're most successful to me their best one is still wonder woman i still think it's it's the most complete film that they've done but i i i, I just I'm just interested, not not concerned, worried or anything like that. Interested to see who will who will watch it, and of course the fan base will be uh, will be rabid for it, uh, and they deserve to be because you know, it's because of them that it's created. But is it is it uh, is it too much of a long haul for people who are not fans? Is what I'm saying. Well, from a lot of the reviews that I've been reading, there's been a lot of comments that it's a, a lighter tone than his previous films in the DC series, and I've seen people say that the four hours. They expected to drag, but it rarely flew by because they were quickly engaged. And apparently the chapter breaks that he's put in help. They help to make it not feel like a long slog. And if you feel that you need to disappear and make a cup of tea, a chapter break is a perfect time to do it. That's how I'll watch it, by the way. I'll watch it. I'll, I'll probably watch it chunks. in segments. Yeah. Snyder's also been quite praising of Marvel films in some of his interviews. In one interview where they were discussing his vision for the DC universe when it started off, he said that he didn't want to copy the Marvel formula at all because they already had it perfected. They were so good at balancing the drama and emotion and fun that they had it perfect. They made great films. Now now that Zack said that Marvel make great films, are all his fanboys going to suddenly start saying that Marvel make great films? Because they've been so adamant that um, Zack would hate them for the past few years. <laughs> That's another example of what I said towards the head of the, the little rant, where Zack himself comes across as a genuine guy in interviews. He just genuinely seems to love the industry that he works in. It's just a shame that the toxic elements have become a representation of him, possibly without him actually right. wanting yeah. them to. Yeah. But anyway, we will get to see Justice League and that will be our main focus next week. And we'll let you know what we think as people who've not been that enamoured with Zack's vision so far. Let's see. Yeah. Other DC yeah. news. There's been more casting for The Flash. Okay. Maribel Verdu, who you might remember from E2 Mama Tambien. Oh, yeah. Um, she's going to be playing Barry's mom, Nora, in the 
flashback sequences. Ha, flashback, see what I did? Oh, see what you did. Yeah, very clever. Which, obviously, those who know the story of The Flash know the importance of her character in making him who he is and what Flashpoint is all about. For those who don't know it, I'm not going to spoil it, but it has been on TV. However, at the same time as that news dropped, the news also came that Billy Crudup, who was linked to the film for a few years, and actually showed up as Henry Allen in Justice League and apparently is in the Zack Snyder's version, won't be able to reprise the role due to scheduling conflicts with the morning show for Apple. Filming for The Flash begins next month. It's actually happening. I remember a couple of years ago when it just kept getting put back and put back and put back. It's, it's been happening for an awful long time. Uh, I got yeah. a bit of news. Colin Trevorrow, probably as we speak, finishing off uh, Jurassic Kingdom, uh, whatever part it is. But he's going to be moving into directing his next feature, which is The War Magician. So for an actor who's clearly not just content with being Master of the Mystic Arts or the Sorcerer Supreme, it's going to star Benedict Cumberbatch. It's an adaptation of David Fisher's book, which chronicles the story of a real-life magician and an illusionist, Jasper Maskelin, who, along with a group of colleagues, dubbed the Magic Gang, became an integral part of a unit focused on the action along the Suez Canal in World War II, which has me interested from the get-go. Give me an interesting uh, variation on a war story, and, and I am in. So the story is planning to, to how to make uh, tanks invisible from the air, uh, how to make entire cities vanish and reappear uh, several miles away. I'm coloured intrigued by this movie Ooh. already. Uh, I'm great casting. Uh, I'm right up my alley. That's, that sounds uh, It sounds Philadelphia experiment-ish. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a film we should talk about at some point. Filming on the Batman has wrapped... The film, which originally started shooting way back last January, not this January, last January, and then was stopped due to COVID and has stopped and started multiple times over the year, has finally finished shooting. It's still set for release in March next year, and it's the film that will see Robert Patterson take up the mantle of the bat with Jeffrey Wright, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, and Colin Faddle. Can't wait for this film. Idris Elba's got a new film coming straight to Netflix. That's Concrete Cowboy. Uh, he plays Harp, who finds solace in rehabilitating horses for inner-city cowboys at the Fletcher Stables, a real-life black urban horsemanship community that's provided a safe haven for the neighborhood residents for more than 100 years. So the stables themselves become threatened by an encroaching gentrification. I quite like the sound of that one, too. Sounds good. Avatar got a re-release in China this past week. I saw, and I saw that it did remarkably well. Yeah, on the first two days, it took $12 million worth of box office takings, which now means that Avatar is once again the biggest film of all time. Having It only needs to do $7 million to overtake Endgame. I'm just wondering when they're going to re-release Endgame now. <laughs> yes, I was thinking that. This is going to be a constant battle between these two films just to stay at the top. So question for you, Andy. Did Avatar originally get a China release, or is this the first time it's been seen? Um, it's it Originally, I had a China release. It originally did well worldwide. But because the Chinese cinemas are pretty much all open, but there's no products coming out, they just thought, you know what? Let's give them something. Can, yeah, With the new Avatar films in production, it kind of makes sense that they'll probably re-release it worldwide as cinemas open up in different countries. So don't be surprised if we see Avatar later this year at our own local cinemas. And I'll be there. I'll be there to watch it because I've not watched it since it was last on at the cinema. I refuse to watch it at home. This is a cinematic film. Now, did you see that video clip of the drone cam footage of a bowling lane and bar 
over this past week. No, I did not. And I'm, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. There's a little video clip that was done by a team who do drone cam little mini adverts and it was all to like advertise bowling lanes and bars and restaurants being reopened again in a downtown area and you've got to go online and do a search for it just do a search for drone cam bowling lane and you will find it when you watch it you initially think there's got to be some cgi trickery in there but no it was all piloted using vr goggles and remote piloting kit the route had been fully planned out through the whole thing and it sweeps down the lanes follows bowling balls as they're going along and pans up comes round, buzzes underneath tables and chairs goes along the bar as the serving drinks it's a marvelous piece of short film basically it took them 12 attempts and they used the 10th attempt and then just added some sound effects over it because the sound was the only thing that they needed to manually put on top of it. Many in the industry have caught it. And online on Twitter, there's directors and producers and like everyone who works in the industry going, wow, look at this, including James Gunn, who has okay. done an op- open invite to the team who made it to come and work on Guardians 3 with him. Ah, I see. So um, that's that's intriguing. You were, like me, a massive fan of Knives Out. Yes. Oh, Yes. And we know that there's a, a sequel in the works, though we don't know much more about it due to, yeah, well, COVID. But Ryan Johnson, the writer and director of that, is now overseeing a new mystery drama series. It's going to star Natasha Leon. It's called Poker Face. No, it's not based on the Lady Gaga song. Don't know much about it at the moment, but we're big fans of Ryan Johnson. A massive fan of Natasha Leon, who did Russian Doll. If you ever got a chance to see Russian Doll, It was an absolutely perfect, pitch-perfect series, still available on Netflix. So those two together uh, makes it interesting right from the get-go. It's so far only for the US streaming service uh, Peacock, but that doesn't mean that we won't get it over here. MGM have a CGI lion now. Oh, do they? After a century of roaring lions, which there's been eight different lions over the years, they've now created a new CG one to act as their masthead for their films going forward. Uh, They've nicknamed it Leo because they're not very original. (laughs) In future MGM films, you won't be looking at that same lion roaring away. It's been the same one for the past few decades as well. He's lasted longer than most management has uh, uh, at MGM. But obviously now they've got a CGI one, it means that they can probably tweak it and change it every now and then without having to hire a whole new lion. So Netflix, they've picked up Dev Patel's directorial debut, Monkey Man, for $30 million. Okay. The star of Lion and Slumdog Millionaire in this film plays an unlikely hero who emerges from prison and takes on the world of corporate greed to seek revenge against the corruption that took his life from him years before. Charlotte Copley's in there and Sikander Kerr is also in there. And the film is being dubbed Mumbai Wick. So if you think John Wick style action in an Indian setting, that's what you're looking for. Due on Netflix 2022. And Netflix are also planning a Spanish spin-off from Bird Box. I've still not watched Bird Box. Oh, you haven't? I, I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. I, I did. Uh, I've started reading the sequel. It's one of those ones that I've I've got on my radar and I just can't find time to watch it. I say that. I've been watching so many films. Why have I not watched Bird Box? I'll, I'll rectify that, Remus, that mistake. Uh, the Safties are making a Paul Rubens film for HBO. Uh, the Uncut Gems Helmers are making a two-part documentary about the actor who was known for Pee Wee Herman and also for a bit of a disgraceful period in the early 90s. I'm a huge Paul Rubens fan. Well, a massive Pee Wee Herman fan. Uh, the first Pee Wee Herman movie, the Tim Burton directed, I absolutely adore. Put it yes. in, Put it in my... Favorite, one of my favourite films of all time. 
And if you ever get chance, and it was on Netflix for a little while, I'm not, I'm not sure if it is anymore, but they ran the original Pee Wee's Playhouse. And even though it's a kid's series, you could sit quite easily and enjoy yeah. it. Have a few drinks, and then you can really, really enjoy it. It was, it was bizarre. It was clever. Uh, it was innovative. It was a it was a kid series for adults. It was it was absolutely absolutely marvelous stuff. So I'm, I know that he, he fell from grace, but that fall from grace, uh, he was in actor's prison for a little while, but but uh, he soon made a, a release. He bounced back, didn't he? He's uh, he, did, he yeah, basically and he came put back his hand. He put his hand up and went, "My mistake. Shouldn't have done that. Really bad." And was embraced pretty rapidly back into the, like the cult community with things like Mystery Men, yeah. and then slowly grew his brand again. And then Pee Wee got a new series. So yeah. uh, the, 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 I'm interested in this documentary because I do think he's a, an interesting character. I think he's genuinely funny. Yes. So looking forward to it. Speaking of biopics, Kenneth Branagh is making a biopic of the Bee Gees. I had noticed that one. And I was just, as, as you mentioned, I was thinking, I wonder if it could be called Staying Alive. But um, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm initially interested. I think Branagh's a good director and does some interesting work. And he, he, he's got a quite a broad range of films under his belt now, if you're not, not alone counting his, his Shakespearean work and, and the stuff that he's written and directed. But he's also, uh, you know, stuff like Thor. He did the Jack Ryan movie. He's, he's, had, a, he's had a pretty interesting run of films. So I, I don't think he's, as far as I know, he's done a biopic. So I'm not a Bee Gees fan. I think there's an interesting story to be told. It depends on casting, but I don't think it'll be a disappointment. It's getting produced by Graham King, who was the producer behind Bohemian Rhapsody. And Barry Gibb, the only surviving member of the Bee Gees, is also executive producing. I do wonder if they'll cover the infamous Clive Anderson moment when they walked off. Um, after he referred to their original name of Latossers. <laughs> Are we talking about Jacks? And we've mentioned this a few times. Were you ever a fan of the Jack Reacher movies? I, I, I quite like the first one. I thought the second one didn't really need to exist. Yeah, I thought the first one was was quite the classic 70s style thriller. Yeah. With the whole look, even the car chase, it had a real 70s vibe to it. And, and of course, give me a 70s style thriller and I'm in. Really like the first one. But to fans of the Lee Childs book, Tom Cruise, who's quite diminutive opposed to what the character has been described as was extremely miscast. Uh, So Jack Reacher is um, supposed to be six foot five. And as we know, physically Tom Cruise isn't. So a lot of fans didn't get it. Anyway, we announced a few weeks ago on the show that Amazon has, um, has got an upcoming series. It has now announced who it's cast. And that's uh, an actor called Alan Richson. Now you're thinking, who's he? Same name sounds familiar. If you're a big fan of Titans, the DC series, which is on Netflix, it's a character who plays Hawk. And if you remember him as Hawk, you can definitely, definitely see him as Jack Reacher. So it's pretty interesting casting. And that's for the new Amazon-based Jack Reacher series. And it it appears that with each season, they will adapt one book. Excellent. Chaz Delsky of John Wick fame is set to direct the action thriller Classified for New Line. The story is set in a top secret bunker, which is home to ancient relics collected by the US government. If you think that hangar at the end of the first Indiana Jones film, that's what you're talking about. However, some of the relics are more powerful and dangerous than imagined. Sounds intriguing. That's all that we know about it at this point in time. Production on season six of Better Call Saul started today. Can't wait. Count me in. The final season. The end is nigh. I'm really, really excited to see how they're going to wrap up everything that's been running because there's so many subthreads. And we know that some of the subthreads won't get wrapped up until you go back and watch Breaking Bad again. But 
it's going to be interesting to see how they get that juxtaposition between the two series. And Sonic 2 has begun production. Never saw Sonic 1, but you liked it. It was really good. It was so much fun. Uh, everyone's back on board. Ben Schwartz is back as the voice of Sonic. James Marsden is back as Tom. And of course, Jim Carrey is back as Dr. Robotnik. Uh, Jeff Fowler, the director of the first film, is sticking around to direct the second one and is definitely going to be bringing Tales the Fox to the sequel. So big Sega fanboys like me, very happy right now. And on a similar cartoony CGI real world meld, shooting has begun on the Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers film. Wow. This one comes from the Lonely Island team. And we love the Lonely Island team. Um, Akiva Schaefer is going to be helming it. John Mulaney and Andy Samberg will be voicing the title characters of Chip and Dale in what's said to be a very meta take on the property. Can't wait. Larry Fong, who gave us the cinematography in Kong Skull Island, is on board for making sure that it looks beautiful. So you can't have been a film fan this week without uh, failing to notice that the 2001 Oscar nominations have come through. Uh, so we're just going to give you a quick rundown of, well, all the leading roles, aren't we, really? The disappointment is not of what names of films are in there, but the fact that most of these films have not had a UK release as of yet due to the cinemas being closed. And it's unlikely that I'm going to get a chance to see a lot of the films before the Oscars. I, I like to try to see if I can see everything before they, they come on. This time around, not going to happen. Because best picture, in the best picture category, you've got... Mank, which we've seen. Trial of the Chicago 7, which we've seen. The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and Sound of Metal. Those last lot haven't been released in the UK yet, and most of them are not getting released until after the Oscars. Um, Director-wise, you've got um, the director of Minari's in there, Lee Isaac Chung, Emerald Fenn from Promising Young Woman, David Fincher is up for Mank. I mean, Mank has Oscar material all over it. It's Oscar bait through and through. It's about the industry. It's yeah, I, I, in that way. Discussion for a later time, but I, I can't see it winning Best Picture. Chloe Zhao, who's given Nomadland. Now, Nomadland is one of the hottest tips for this because it's been doing really good on other awards and all the festival circuits and everything. So keep your eye on Nomadland if you're going to be placing any bets on. It's probably a good bet. Thomas Vinterberg for another round. Uh, actors, Riz Ahmed's in there for Sound of Metal. I've heard that his performance in that is amazing, but again, we've not seen it. Chadwick Boseman is obviously up for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Everyone knew that that was going to be happening. That was a nice nod, I thought. Still not watched the film, but I've heard so many positive things about his performance in there. Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, Stephen Yuen for Minari, and actress Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andrea Day, The United States versus Billie Holiday. Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman. Francis McDormand for Nomadland. Like I said, Nomadland is really in there. And Carrie Mulligan, who is being... Yes, re- she She's probably the favourite at the moment for Promising Young Woman. If we skim over some of the other categories, it was interesting to see the Maria Bakalova. Remember when the Borat subsequent movie film came out and I said, wow, she deserves an award yep. for her performance. She's in the running. She's in there for Best Supporting Actress. Quite pleased to see that. Oh, fantastic. Yes, she was amazing. Sasha Baron Cohen for um, his performance in Trial of the Chicago 7, which, yeah, I can see that. He is nominated, though, for screenplay, isn't he? He is, yes. <laughs> adapted screenplay. I'm baffled as to how Borat is an adapter. I mean, I suppose it's adapted from real life because it was just basically a documentary. But animated. Now, there's the category that could be controversial because everyone's expecting Soul to win. Personally, I'd like Wolf Walkers to win. And I've got a nagging suspicion that you prefer Onward to get in there. Yeah, yeah, you know that I was a big fan. Uh, I, re- I really was, loved it. 
there's a lot of films here that that I'd still very much like to see. Promising Young Woman, Sound of yeah. Metal, uh, Nomadland. We know it appears on uh, Disney Plus in early April. So yeah, it's, it's as you say, it's disappointing. We've not got to see as many of these up front. There's some nice stuff in the documentary feature, but it's going to be an, an interesting one. It's it's certainly it's certainly redeemed itself with its diversity. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to. I uh, so far I couldn't give you a clear bet as to who who would win, but I I've just got a feeling that Mank will do well. I've got a feeling it's not going to win Best Picture. I think Nomadland is where the good money is going. And that's without yeah, seeing it. That's just from all the buzz. Before we finish off the news, the Russos have begun filming on their next Netflix big budget assassin chase film, The Grey Man, which will star Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. Gosling is a former CIA operative turned rogue assassin. And Evans plays the former colleague assigned to track him down. That has started shooting. Ben Wheatley's next horror film, which we've spoken about a few times, called In the Earth, now has a release date of 30th of April. At cinemas. Hopefully it'll still be around when cinemas do open in the UK, but that's one that I've got on my radar. And Epics, a premium cable channel in the US, and Blumhouse have partnered up in a deal that will see Blumhouse produce eight movies exclusively for the network. The first one being Alex McCauley's House on the Bayou, which is casting at present. The film will follow a family who go on holiday to an isolated house, but then unexpected visitors turn up and the family starts to break apart. Given the recent Amazon collaboration with the Welcome to the Blumhouse, don't be surprised if they snap up the international distribution and that's where we'll probably see it. And the final bit of news, unfortunately, is the sad news of the passing this week of Yafet Koto. Yeah, and now Yafet Koto... Everybody will remember Yafet Koto uh, from his role in Alien, uh, but he was known for so much more. If you're a, a slightly older film geek, as we are, then you're probably, like me, Andy, your first encounter with him would be in Live and Let Die. Yes. Um, my introduction to Bond was also my introduction to Yafet Koto, and that's where he's most memorable for me. And over the years, I got to then see him in appearances on TV shows like Hawaii Five-0 in like little episodes. He popped up in pretty much every TV show of our generations. And also he popped up so much in other films as I started to grow my film history. Things like Midnight Run, The Running Man, uh, the original Thomas Crown Affair, when I finally got around to watching that, spotted him in there. Like you say, I'd Amy. forgotten he was in that. I really yeah, did. And I loved he that He really movie. did have a huge, diverse career in a career that spanned five decades. And he's one of those people that you always recognize the face of. And he was a great character actor, was never a lead, was always just a solid character actor. And we love these people because these are the people who form the heart of a film. These are the people who give the, the background to a film. These are the ones who we gravitate towards more as film files uh, yes. than the big star names. We gravitate towards these lesser actors who have such a wide diverse range of roles and so it is quite saddening when we see the passing of them because we start to think of every role that we've seen them in he was a solid actor i mean he passed away at age 81 for me he was great in um, in homicide yes but it will always be midnight run playing uh, alonzo mosley the beleaguered fbi agent in an amazing film and uh, he gave it real heart and when you're up against Charles Grodin, Robert De Niro in a film, and you can hold your own. That's the testament to such such great acting and great skills. So, yeah, sad to there. And that is the news. You know, if you're a fan of the show, and you can listen to the show in this podcast any way you like, listen to it on your exercise bike, for instance, 
And remember to hit the subscribe button because every time you subscribe, you hit that button. An angel gets its wings. You can contact us on Twitter at Filmfile UK. You can find us on Instagram, Filmfile UK. And you can email us podcast at Filmfile.uk. So, as you know, each week we do a deep dive into one of our, not always our favorite films, but movies that we find really interesting and enough to talk about. This week we're going to be looking at Christopher Nolan's Memento. What's the last thing you do remember? My wife. That's sweet. Dying. You really want to get this guy, don't you? My wife deserves vengeance. When you find this guy, what are you going to do? I'm going to kill him. Somebody's got to pay, Lenny. Somebody always pays. You have to be very careful. You wander around playing detective. Maybe you should start investigating yourself. This guy is so dangerous, he's gonna kill me. Who is he? What do you want from me? I want my life back! I think someone's trying to get me to kill the wrong guy. You can question everything, you can never know anything for sure. There are things you know for sure. You can't trust him. Even if you get revenge, you're not gonna remember it. You're not even gonna know that it happened. Who did this to you? You did. You don't know who you are. This was Christopher Nolan's second film, but his first feature film. It's a 2000 neo-noir psychological thriller. It starred Guy Pearce and Carrie Ann Moss. And it's the story of a man with a short-term memory loss who attempts to track down his wife's murderer. I haven't seen this one in some time. And if I have, I might have forgotten. But I remember being incredibly intrigued by it. And it was one of those films that you... When people said they didn't get it, I don't understand why they didn't get it, because ultimately it's not confusing at all. It does, even though it works in Nolan's non-linear style, non-time linear style, what it does do is tell a complete story, except in reverse. In fact, so much so when the DVD came out, it gave you an opportunity, which to me seems absolutely worthless, of, of watching the film in the right running order, so to speak. Andy, you've seen this film recently. Yes, does Memento still hold up? Oh, very much so. Rewatching this over the past week, and this is the first time I've watched it probably since I first got it on DVD almost 20 years ago. I was once again gripped, and even though I knew where it was going to be going, I was still gripped with seeing how it was going there. And it's the journey in this film that makes it worthwhile, and it's the manner in which Nolan told that journey. The cinematic technique to mask what is otherwise a very simple story. I've actually played it in the sequence, in the actual, like, you know, timeline sequence uh, aspect, and it's not that interesting a story when you see it that way, because uh, it's all signposted completely. The joy of this is that it's little five or ten minute chunks before it jumps backwards and does the five or ten minutes leading up to the chunk that you've just seen so that you get the reveals in reverse and you start to you start to mistrust what your ideas are as to what the truth of the story is. Guy Pearce plays the lead in this, uh, a lead that was originally tagged for Brad Pitt to star, but scheduling conflicts prevented it. Um, the lack of celebrity for Pearce apparently was one of the positives when it came to the casting and distribution, because the film was to be sold on its own merits. It was not going to be sold on the back of a big name. And the, the support cast, Carrie Anne Moss, Absolutely fantastic. She'd already worked with Joe Pantaleano on The Matrix, which is how Joe got brought on board 
to play um, Leonard's only friend, or is he? It's all over the place. My mind's as my mind's as all over the place as what this film is. Is just trying to decipher it because it is one of them that there's so many twists and turns that you don't want to talk too much without spoiling it. But you're not even sure if what you're saying is actually spoiling it because you might have just misinterpreted one of the clues and maybe the truth isn't what you've deciphered. And this was genius of Nolan. This was what Nolan could do with a really interesting story. It was his uh, brother Jonathan Nolan who had come up with this story as a short story which then got adapted to film and for the first major cinematic release this was a proper out the gate moment and you can see you can see the basis of Nolan's fascination with structuring of stories going forwards that's exactly what I was going to say so it's such a a confident first film I know he'd had a sort of extended short with a film called Following but this film did sort of set the style for Nolan's later work. Probably there's only Insomnia, which which doesn't fit into the the atypical uh, uh, Nolan style of movie. Uh, it, it's confidently directed. It's It looks great. It's very clever with the, its structuring of the two timelines. Colour sequences are alternated with, with black and white sequences uh, and put together in, in uh, uh, chronological order, the colour ones show forward except for the first one which is shown in reverse or ordered in reverse so chronologically the black and white sequence come first the color sequence comes next it does sound confusing but as you said it's quite a simple plot it's it's a proper noir detective story uh, and the clever angle of it being reversed uh, and what we learn and how we learn as you said again about how we understand the characters motives and 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 who's who and what they mean all plays out wonderfully in this in this great reveal and it, it, it is a triumph for a first-time director and to some extent it's about his all of his individual films i'm not talking his big studio films i, th- I think it's, it's it's one of his best still yes. one of his best it works so so well it's not a stretch of the imagination to 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 see how he's taken film by by storm that he's he's still an absolutely unique voice that he makes the movies that he wants to uh, wants to make and makes them in a way that he wants to make them. And even when they don't quite land, like Tenet, for instance, he's always going to be somebody worth watching and he's always going to do something a little bit out of the box. Now, if that fails, I'd rather he fail upwards and do something that was uh, that was something absolutely unique like this, or, or Tenet for that matter, than to just keep keep going down the same lines. I'm always intrigued as to where he's going to go next. I'd forgotten the touches of humour in this film. Rewatching it, and I found myself chuckling at a few nice, light touches of humour, such as a scene shifts and he starts off running and asks himself, what am I doing? Oh, I'm chasing that guy. And then the guy turns around with a gun and goes, no, he's chasing me, and he turns and runs the other way. And it's those little deafness of approach that make it more than just like you're getting like your head all wound up by the different time frames. You're you're just caught up in the character. And this is one of the things that Nolan in more recent films has kind of forgotten the human emotion side. Tenet is so emotionless. It hasn't got a human heart to it. Or if it's, if it thinks it has, it's all buried underneath like the visuals and the sound. This is Nolan really making you care about a character. And it's a character that you're learning about that character has, as he's learning about himself at the same time. It's marvelous storytelling. You said about the, um, black and white footage and the colour footage. And then there's the transition when they catch up with each other and the black and white links to the start of the colour. Yeah. 
And that transitioning is done by way of him taking a photo. And as he's shaking the Polaroid picture, that starts to turn colour. And then it comes back out and the film's colour. That is a marvellous transition shot. It's This is a film that now that I've rewatched it, I, w- I immediately want to rewatch it again. And I want to really dissect the techniques that Nolan used. He was a skilled, such a skill with such a low budget as well. Marvellous film. Like you say, it, it is possibly his best. And I, I need to rewatch Insomnia because I've always had Insomnia tagged as my favourite of Nolan's films because it doesn't feel like a Nolan film. But I'm thinking that Memento has now took that crown again. And what a film. It, it's it's great film noir. And it does that one thing where the lead character becomes the unreliable narrator in the same way that Usual Suspects did did that trick and, and, and did it so well. Uh, and it leads you down the down the garden path right from the moment where you see the first photo with, uh, with Teddy and it says, don't believe his lies. Yes. And that image really stays with you throughout the film and the conclusion even though it's the beginning changes our viewpoint on that character and our, our memory our own memory and our own memento of what what we've just been watching and that's why it's such a such a clever movie if you've never seen memento we urge you to go and get it go and find it track it down uh, i i did try tracking this down on some of the streaming services it's not available so it will have to be a physical purchase which everyone should have the physical copies of this so you can really delve into the extras as well and learn about the making of the film great film really glad that we picked this as a choice this week it's celebrating its 20th anniversary this year in fact it was this week that it was celebrating the 20th anniversary of the release in the us that's memento as we've not had a chance to get into the cinema for so many weeks but we know there's a date looming we all can't wait to plonk ourselves down in front of a big screen but Andy has seen a lot more than I have. Good for you. <laughs> as he's been streaming across the streaming services to review these films. So I'm going to kick off my reviews with the main review this week, which is for on Apple TV. The Russo brothers gave us Tom Holland in a starring role as Cherry. I'm 23 years old and sometimes I wonder if life was wasted on me. Take all the beautiful things to heart till I about die from it. If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing. Hey, I'm really happy you're here. Why is that? Because I like you. But there never seems to be enough time to do. You're it for me. I feel the same way. I joined the army. Why would you do that? Sometimes I feel like I've already seen everything that's going to happen. And it's a nightmare. My one true accomplishment was not dying. I have this noise in my head. It'll stop. One day it'll go quiet. I don't imagine that anyone goes in for a robbery if they're not in some kind of desperation. I've been at this a while now, and it's no secret what my face looks like. Get on the ground! One thing about robbing banks is you're mostly robbing women, so the last thing you want to be is rude. Ma'am, it's nothing personal. So Cherry is based on the novel by Nico Walker, and the tale follows Tom Holland's Cherry, which is based on Walker himself, 
who falls in love with Emily, played by Sierra Bravo. But when she breaks up with him to leave to study, Cherry signs up for basic training. Emily realises she still wants Cherry in her life, but it's too late as he's set to leave. They get married before he leaves, and then after his basic training and two-year service, he returns home a broken shell, suffering from PTSD. He falls into a spiralled life of drug abuse, which he drags Emily down into, and then the abuse leads to a life of crime to pay for the addictions. It's an intriguing tale. It's nothing that we've not seen before. It's very predictable. It's very generic. And the Russos show off every style of shot they've ever been taught. But Tom Holland gets to act his socks off in this film. That was that was my next question, Andy. How is Tom Holland in this film? Because he's, for such a young actor, he's been on quite an incredible journey. He is, I mean, I mean he's, he's generally likeable and charming in films that we've seen him in. I mean, let, let's just talk about his Spider-Man role. He, he was a great teenage Peter Parker. He's got that energy, that excitement and the nervousness. But in this, he gets to do all the ranges of emotion. He gets to do the depths of drug abuse. He gets to do menacing. He gets to do army grunt. He gets to do basic training. He gets to do everything. And this is something that we've not really seen him do. And he's one of those actors that you've seen him playing fun, vibrant roles so much that you're worried that he wouldn't be able to play something a little serious. It's always hard for an actor to escape the shadow of, especially especially of a big franchise that's, that's established who you are. And and of course, the, the most obvious thing is to play heavily against type. Yes. Yeah. This, this is the same way that Daniel Radcliffe broke away from Harry Potter by doing darker and more serious roles and showed a different side of him. This is Tom Holland's this is Tom Holland's attempt to do that and he's done a really good job. And what helps as well is that Sierra Bravo as Emily is just as powerful in this film. So when they're both on screen together, the pair feed off each other's energy for some absolutely amazing scenes. Now, everything so far sounds like this is a really good film. Sadly though, the Russos seem to be having so much fun directing that they've kind of forgotten that they're supposed to be just telling a good story. And the film outstays its welcome. It is overlong. It ponders about a bit and it tries to be clever with stylization. Some stylization works great. There's an oversaturation of light when drugs are taken early on to give a trippy feel. But at other times, it makes you wonder what on earth they're thinking, such as there's a rectal exam from a rather unique point of view that was not necessary. And the the biggest problem is that it thinks that it's smarter than it is. Like I said, towards the top of this review, it doesn't really tell a story that we've not heard before, even though it's based on someone's life, so you can't really change their life. Goodfellas has done this kind of thing so much better. We've seen it repeated. We've seen the formula done. There's nothing to really make you stand out. And it tries to be smart in being funny and witty with the names of banks or support characters, like calling a, a doctor, doctor whomever, because he's not important to the story. I'm sure a lot of fun was had in making up the names that they were going to drop on signposts, etc. around it. But they kind of forgot that we're supposed to enjoy the film as an audience. And this is more just a film that is a showcase for what Tom Holland and Sierra Bravo can do. And that's about it. Take half an hour out of it. It could have been a much tighter film and a lot better, but I did get to the halfway point and it was one of them that started looking at me phone going, oh, I've still got an hour and 10 minutes left. It dragged too much. It thinks it's good, fellas, but it's more like, all right, kids. Okay, that's that's kind of 
the impression I got before seeing it. And to be honest, it was that slightly over familiarity with it that's that's put me off seeing it. Now, uh, there are some some really interesting drugstore cowboy, for instance, uh, drug affiliated stories. But once you've seen one, you have a tendency to deal with 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 the same issues time and time again, and and to the point where unless you do something like train spotting, yeah, where you turn the whole thing on its head. And you make it comedic, or you make it, or you make it so grim that it's it's unwatchable. Then you're going to repeat a lot of the same, uh, a lot of the same conventions with it all the time. So disappointing to hear. But what else have you got? Uh, so on Netflix, the Sisters Brothers landed this week, which is a western. I do love me westerns. Set in eighteen fifty one, it follows the infamous assassins Charlie and Eli Sisters, played by Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley, who are hired to kill a man named Herman Warm played by Riz Ahmed. Warm has already been tracked down by John Morris, played excellently by Jake Gyllenhaal, who's supposed to be presenting him to the brothers, but he warms to Warm's ideas, see what I did there, uh, and strikes a bargain. The film follows the brothers' journey, which is disrupted by spider bites, drunken behaviour, corrupt townships, Charlie's drunkenness himself, and also that of Morris and Warm, flipping between the two different pairs until the groups meet. This is a film with great leads and a smart script that plays the conventions of the Western genre, but spins them in quite different ways. And there's a deft humour in the film, which never takes away from the emotional poignancy of the overall tale. There's some great moments of John C. Riley as Eli's sisters, first encounter with a toothbrush, had me chuckling away. There's things like that as like the modern, the modern world is starting to encroach on the Western and they're encountering it. Well worth seeing. Thoroughly recommend it. If you like Westerns, you'll get a lot to love from the Sisters Brothers. Yeah, now, I, I'm really, this is on my list. I'm really intrigued to see it. Is it a comedy Western? Is it a straight Western with humour? The only thing that I couldn't pick up from the trailers was, was is how it's supposed to play. It's a it's a straight Western with humour. It, it has got comedy moments, but they don't feel, they don't feel unnaturally funny. They don't feel like they've been forced in there against the story. It's, it feels like the kind of humour that would come from circumstance. Okay. What else do you have? Antigone. Now, this isn't actually available on any streaming services in the UK at the moment. I was looking to get a screener of it because it's doing a festival at the moment. And this was a surprise viewing. This adapts the Greek tragedy of Antigone to a modern day setting and with a focus on the immigrant experience in Quebec as we follow the plight of Antigone. It's directed by Sophie Derasp. And it follows Antigone, played powerfully and emotionally by Naomi Rishi, who, after one brother is killed and another is imprisoned to be deported when he's accused of assaulting a police officer, she poses as a brother to aid a desperate escape for him. She then gets arrested and charged herself and becomes a centrepiece of a social movement against the police brutality, a figurehead for equality and compassion. And it's a very relevant tale for today. I'm hoping this gets picked up for a UK distribution at some point, because this is a film that I would urge everyone to see. It was powerful. It was moving and it proper shook me to the core. And it's beautifully shot and amazingly played. So that's Antigone. Keep that on your radar and we will let you know where it lands in the UK. And finally, finally, SAS Red Notice. Yeah, you had me and I was there for Antigone. Uh, you suddenly lost me on SAS Red Notice. So it's based on a story by Andy McNabb. The script for this must have gone through at least two crayons before being put on screen. It's a terrorist plot to hijack and blow up a, the Channel Tunnel train. And lo and behold, an ex-Special Forces operative is coincidentally on that train with his fiance. It's cheap. It's shoddy. I would say that I had no fun watching this, but I did laugh out loud on a few occasions at scenes that weren't actually supposed to be funny. They were just ridiculously bad. 
There's a channel tunnel entrance scene that is shown so close to the White Cliffs of Dover that when the camera pans up, you expect to see trains spewing out the other side into the sea. An explosion forces a helicopter to crash and it's hilariously badly put together. It's an utter mess of a film. And guess what? It's on Sky. It's a Sky original. We do we do love the Sky originals. <laughs> they must be just digging through people's gardens to find content. And this got me thinking. It's like there was a time when the word Sky original meant something different, something breaking the genres, that something a bit more creative. But I think in this era of so many different streaming platforms making their own original content of quality, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Sky need to pull the socks up. They need to stop resting on their laurels of the past when they were the only ones to do this. Other people are playing the game now. Pick up the gear. So before we go, anything to look forward to? And yes, we've gone through an entire programme without mentioning uh, The Falcon and Winter Soldier, which starts in the UK and across the world on Disney Plus this Friday. Yes. But anything else? This, this week is all about superheroes, isn't it? It's, it's Justice League tomorrow. It's Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney Plus on Friday. If you don't like superheroes, then you could force yourself to watch Amazon's War on Grandpa just to see whether De Nerdo's career can actually go lower than those car adverts that he was doing. I believe he must have a tax bill to pay. <laughs> He's got something to pay or someone's got some dodgy photos of him. But there's not a lot of great deal content landing this week, but it doesn't surprise me because with two big hitters like what Disney have got and like what Now and Sky have got with Justice League and Falcon you know what, let them own this weekend and we will talk about them next week. So Andy, you're going to review and I'll hopefully get to see Justice League for next week, but we'll do our weekly look at Falcon and Winter Soldier and see how that is working out. But before we leave, we're going to tell you about our neat things, things that we've watched, read, heard, played, you name it, whatever's been neat for us over the last week, our weekly neat thing. And Andy, what is your neat thing for this week so in the absence of films to watch on streaming of recommendations this week why not if you've not already start watching snowpiercer season two because this season is coming close to the end now and boy has it been blowing me away in the most recent episodes ruth played by alison wright has become the perfect example of a character to show how much growth the show has had and how it's forged its own path She's gone from being in season one where you kind of thought, oh, I don't like you. Character who's so loyal to Mr. Wilfred that you you just feel that she's just two-dimensional. But she had an episode that broke my heart this week as her stoic loyalty to Mr. Wilfred is starting to crack and she's presented with the harsh reality of her previous actions when maintaining order on the train. It's magnificent. All the characters this season have had a chance to grow and develop layer upon layer, whilst never once feeling like they've artificially forced a narrative. It shows remarkable skill by the writers of the show, and as it's ramping up to these last couple of episodes which are on the way, man, I am in. Mine was a bit of a find. I found this on uh, iTunes, and the entire series was, was cheap. Uh, they got it on as part of one of their budget packages. And that's a 1999-2000 series. Not many people saw it, but I saw it when it came out and loved it. And it's a series called Action. It's a dark, dark comedy about Peter Dragon, played by deliciously by Jay Moore, who's a sleazy. And when I say sleazy, just put, put it in capital letters and it makes sense. <laughs> Hollywood executive. After his last movie bombed, and it was a huge uh, a huge budgeted action movie called Slow Torture. He has to try and find his way back. It's an inside look at Hollywood. Uh, it was produced by Joel Silver. 
it was way ahead of its time. It only got cancelled after only, I think, about eight or nine episodes. But but the box set contains the whole produced 13. Incredibly over the top, very rude. How they got away with it at the time, I don't know. Uh, as he tries to, by basically uh, dumping on everybody, uh, and he's just annoying, uh, just such a knowing sleazeball, launches next, next movie, Beverly Hills Gun Club. Uh, with the help of an ex-child star turned hooker, Wendy Ward. It's outrageous. It was ridiculously funny. It was a, probably the best insight into Hollywood you will ever, ever get to see. And that's action. And you can pick it up on iTunes or you can buy it as a, a box set on Amazon. Excellent. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more film news. And uh, before we go, Andy, going to take care this week? As much care as I could possibly do. You take care of yourself as well, man. Yeah, you must be ramping up now to cinemas reopening. Step at a time. We're waiting. We're hoping by middle of May we'll definitely be opening. Can't wait. I can't wait to get back inside that environment again. And you'll have to let us know what the opening films are going to be because that's the biggest intrigue right now. Yes. What are we going to be coming back to see? I mean, Black Widow is a cert. Black Widow will be there on day one. So before I go, can I ask you something? These sunglasses, they're really nice. Are they government issued? Or all you guys go to the same store to get them. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>